Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. The following takes place between 4 p.m. and 5 p.m. So if Renee Walker and Michelle Dessler started a band, who would play lead guitar and who would sing? If if I see this is gonna make me actually start to think who has sang before and on twenty feet there haven't been many people who have sang. Well, I'm, see that that's what I'm saying. It's too that's too like for me that ends up I, I'm gonna think about it too much because I we have seen Rayco Ellsworth on stage. We have seen Rayco Ellsworth on stage. Um, I feel like the only time I and I don't think this happened, but the only time I slightly recall a twenty four character maybe singing was Logan after one of his happy moments with Martha. Um, but I don't think that actually happened. I just You can picture it, it. I can see it, yeah. You know, after one of his like ninety second, you know, you know, rolls in the hay with Martha, um right. Lo- Logan was singing about it. Oh that's a good that's a that that's good for one of my questions that are coming up. But uh, uh I, I would say well, maybe maybe uh maybe Renee takes guitar because season eight Renee looks like she could she could exercise, or I should say, um, let out some angst by shredding. So. Yeah, she could. She could thrash, and and in and in another life, Reiko Ellsworth easily could have been a you know like a Japanese crossover pop star. Who who um, operates the drum machine? Yeah, yeah. Chloe. Um. So anyway, uh, we're here for our fifth edition. Is that correct? No, our fourth edition. Uh, yeah, because we did two doubles. Yeah. Yes, of the twenty-four cast another day. Um. For twenty four, live another day, episode six. six. Halfway uh, point. Ha- we are at the halfway point. So we'll weird. Get into, yeah, we'll get into discussing that at some point so uh, today. Uh, I'm David. I'm here with you. Austin. Are really? Oh, you are. Wow, that's me. Oh. That's you. Uh, so, what did you think of the episode? Excuse me, as I swallow some water. Um, there was, and I'm trying to retrace my steps because I did see it a second time to refresh my memory. Um, okay, I have not. But I, I think the, I, I left that episode with Kate Morgan, Kate Morgan, Kate Morgan, Kate Morgan, Kate Morgan, and oh shit, there's a mole again. Um, I think you and I had talked about last episode, um, hoping that there was a moleless season this year. And there yeah. have been moleless seasons in the past, but it just more often than not there was a mole, and we were hoping that this time there wasn't. But eh. You got one. Um, Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yes. Yes. We'll, we'll, and we'll get to mole Benjamin Bratt in a second. But yeah. So possibly a mole, but definitely, definitely sneaky. Definitely sneaky, and, and certainly a, a mole reveal of sorts. Um, so okay. So you had that feeling on the episode. Yeah. That it, it was, I mean, a lot of Kate Morgan is awesome. Yeah. And- and as I as I trace back my steps, I, I start to think, you know, maybe the oh well, okay. And then there was a gigantic Russian with a powerful mustache. But um, impressive, I, impressive. It was a powerful handlebar mustache. Uh, I, I I I I think it was good. I think it kind of uh, takes a dip if if you kind of look at the curve of the season so far. It, you know, it dips at episode three and it dips here, but not nearly as much because I did come away liking the episode. But I think, you know, I think I had some. Less than, I, I guess, a little bit of an underwhelming feeling coming out of that, similar to episode three. Um, I think part of it was maybe my own um, expectations of, ooh, who's this weapons dealer going to be? Is it going to be someone we know? We think it's going to be someone we know. We th- oh, wait, it's not. And that could Which be. Which I kind of liked. Yeah, I mean, objectively, I should. I think it's just I built it up in my own head too much. So when it mm-hmm. actually didn't happen, it's like, oh, you know. Um, 
It should have been Allison Taylor as a weapon. Oh, jeez. I started I... furiously typing down obs obs uh, not not obs not obscene ridiculous like suggestions like oh maybe it's uh maybe it's like Miles Papazian or some crap like that from season five. But <laughs> Miles Papazian. Um, but like yeah, that was just the me turd. being stupid. And you're right. I think the end result is it's it's good that they didn't just go back to the one and be like, yo, let's let's knock their socks off by bringing Tony back in this role. You know what I mean? But but it, again, because I had built it up in my own head and ended up being slightly disappointing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and what's interesting for our listeners, uh, you and I really have not discussed this episode at all. We had no exchanges during the week. We briefly spoke about it last night. I forgot to but... send you my notes. Yes, you forgot to send me them. Uh, and I didn't text you anything uh, during or after. So uh, we're pretty uh, fresh on the discussion. I, I thought this was a good episode. It was definitely a step down from episodes four and five. It, but there were also a few things I liked about it a lot, and then just a couple things that were very ho-hum about it. That, that's kind of how I came out yeah. of this episode. I, yeah. I think that the... The story with Mark backtracking either because he thinks he's going to get caught by Heller or he, realized he realizes he went overboard with Jack, you know, that went in an interesting direction. And I thought uh, there were a couple great little scenes and little moments for Jack slash Kiefer. You know, when he, the look he had when Kate Morgan, uh, you know, injected herself with whatever she injected herself with was terrific. <laughs> I loved you know, we've seen a variation on this scene before, but when Rask is asking Jack for all of the information... The Metzger on the one? People, the, the, the Metzger yeah, scene? That was great. Right. And, you know, I was, you know... You know, anytime 24 gets me to believe that some scene like that is going to kill Jack off, it's done its job right. Yeah. And I, I was... That scene was really tense, and I was worried. And then Rask had that line of, he doesn't even break a sweat, and yeah. the camera cut back to Jack. And then you saw Jack just totally take a deep breath <laughs> I, I thought i thought that was really good uh i agree with you the best stuff came with kate morgan uh the mole reveal which we'll get to in a little bit was a little bit uh whatever to me you know yeah, yeah. i mean it was not it was a it certainly wasn't a bad episode i thought it was okay it was a good episode it might have even been my least favorite of any of the six this season uh it, but interesting note, real quick. Uh, you talk about the, the mole reveal being ho hum, and, and I do agree with that. It's I think it's kind of telling uh, Al, uh, one of our mutual friends, who should be and, listening and to listen this right now. And <laughs> listeners, okay. Yeah. Um, Boy just had a hair on Al. <laughs> okay. um, so he, you know, he he was sending me a a Google chat message, and he was like, "So how about twenty four, huh?" And I was like, "What was the last thing that happened again?" And, and you know, thinking back on this, it's like I couldn't even remember that that was the last thing that happened. But the other telling oh, okay. thing is that he didn't tell me that it was the mole reveal. He told he he was referring to Simone getting hit by a bus. So well, that was fun. That so was, both of that us was very fun, and I like that something random happened right in in the world of of twenty four. Yeah. And it's, so I I think it's like mildly only mildly, but but like still interesting, telling that neither of us remembered that really the the way that it ended was. Yo, there's a mole, and it's Benjamin Bratt, or it could be a mole. Um, yeah. Just to, just in relation to your comment that it was a little, I was like, ho hum, kind of that's whatever. Fair. Who do you think is on the other end of that line? Well, I think that's what was, 
I mean, we could talk about what was interesting about that scene, and we could talk about what was ho-hum about that scene. Um, but since you asked the question of who's on the other line, I really don't know. And I think certainly that it was revealed and shot as if, oh, Benjamin Bratt's a mole. But I didn't get the impression from that scene that Benjamin, that Steve Navarro was on the phone with one of Margot Aharazi's people. And that's what actually made, was the saving grace of that twist. You know, right. what we know so far is that Kate's husband was selling secrets to the Chinese and Kate had nothing to do with it. Now we know at least the part about Kate's husband being complicit is a lie or and a fabrication. Yeah. So is Benjamin Bratt, uh, is, <laughs> we gotta keep calling, we gotta call him Steve Navarro. Is Navarro on the phone with people related to the Chinese? You know, we the know Chinese. This, oh we know God. this is. We know this is the CIA. Is there something even more clandestine at hand? Are we supposed to believe that he's in league with Al Harazi's people, which really wouldn't fit based right. on what happened in the in the previous episode? So, I, I could see this going in a couple different directions, uh, and I'm not willing to write this off as a ho hum. Oh, there's another mole plot just yet. The reveal itself—that's what I'm referring the, to. Yeah, that was the part that was less compelling to me. Um, first off, I, I kind of had it pegged, and I usually don't spend that much time within an episode of Twenty Four predicting what might happen or being right about what I predict. Right. Uh, as evidenced by last week, my you know my proclamation that ooh the arms dealer Jack keeps referring to without naming his name has to be someone we've already met. Yeah. Um, but whenever uh, Navarro kind of gave Jordan that runaround uh, about whatever was going that, on. I started being like, Kate. yeah, I was like, is something going on with him? You know, I thought, okay, well, is Navarro doing this because, you know, he's off his game because he's in love with Kate or because he's doing something underhanded? Right. So it, it was, it didn't come off as something that was that surprising or, you know, we've even... I mean, there are only so many ways you can do a mole reveal, of course, but I even felt like the scene itself dragged on a little too long. I felt that the, you know, the way they did it was, okay, we've seen this mole reveal before. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's you know, a the, mole! The fam- right. <laughs> the most famous example, of course, uh, being, you know, Nina being on the phone at the end of 123, uh... But, you know, again, with Mary Ann Taylor had a similar mole reveal. Uh, you know, we, we've, see, we've seen that before. So I wasn't, you know, overly, you know, wowed or even wowed at all by that. I hope what comes next is just another shade to it. And I do like how this episode very subtly expanded the world of the show very much so. They brought back the little bits about the Chinese and whatever Navarro's dealing with. You know, the Russians are now really back uh, involved, and the super mustache guy is either going to keep Tate Dump, keep Mark Bordeaux's secret, or he's going to run things up the ladder. The British government really got involved for the first time with uh, Davies sending in the troops after Heller said something twice. So, you know, the, you know, the political world is getting much bigger here. Yeah, and, and I thought and, that was an interesting aspect of the episode. And I wonder if that's that may be who he was on the phone with. 
you know, the the British politicos, um, maybe even what, what is the prime minister name? Uh, prime minister's name again? I I think it is Alistair Davies. Okay, it could be it could be that that lady who's working for him, the one who suggested like, hey, FYI, PM, which is what they call him. Um, Heller is bonkers in the head, so you know, don't trust him with anything. I I don't know. Maybe that's a red herring. Maybe she has nothing to do with nothing. But yeah, maybe you know, hard to um. Hard to know. I'm just in a in a mode where like everybody who comes on screen are like, oh, that's the bad guy. Oh wait, maybe not. So, right. Uh, so you know that's kind of my take on whatever was going on with uh, Benjamin Bratt's character this week. And uh, yeah, now what did you? I mean, do you have anything else to add on that? Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm 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 actually looking through an episode recap to see if there's anything else that I missed. Um, no, yeah, it's it, you know it's it. I'm wait. I'm in wait and see now. Whereas the last two episodes, I was like. The last two episodes, I was in a "whoa, that was great" mood. Uh, now I'm just like, all right, well, we got to see what happens. I, I, I really don't feel, um, like I said, I feel a little bit underwhelmed. But again, you know, it was good. Um, it was I, good. I mean, I thought there were there were certainly a lot of intense scenes for sure. And, and one possibly dull scene that should have been intense. Um, uh, that being I'll the be firefight. Oh yeah, I mean, for for a show that has prided itself on fantastic action sequences and set pieces. I thought that was one of the weakest in the show's history, if not the weakest. Uh, and it was directed by the same guy who did last week's episode, Omar Mata. And mm. last week's episode was wonderfully directed. And the action sequence with uh, Navarro, Ritter, and the rest of the CIA going into the compound yep. that Margot set up with a bomb was really good. This, this sequence... To me, it never felt like it was happening in real time. I felt felt that Jack was way too out in the open. Uh, for, yeah. too, for for too long, uh, it kind of I, I think it lost sense and of where Rask was in that scene, and it just it went on a little bit too long and was cut too far apart. And uh, that that didn't that didn't especially work for me either. Little bits within it, like Jack having to. Hit enter on the keyboard were kind of good. Uh, the better stuff with that setting happened earlier in the episode when Jack was being, uh, in a sense, put on trial by Rask, and we yeah. met that Rask character. Uh, now, what did you think of the Rask character? Uh, it was played well. Uh, you know, it, and probably because this is literally what it was, but it was a throwaway character for me. Uh, and you know, to to be fair, again, I, I think I'm leaning back on. I'm looking back at. Yes, I was expecting something that I shouldn't have been, but you know, at the same time, I thought um, there was very. I felt very little intrigue once I got to meet him, and once I did, and once he, you know, killed himself basically and went away, I was. That like, was probably the most intriguing part of him. Right. You know, it was like, why, why would he have done that? But, you know, at the same time, it was one of those things where it's like, all right, well, he's gone. All right, you know, moving right. on. And, and not, not to say that that doesn't lead to intrigue in terms of what is the backstory there, but but it doesn't it doesn't make me feel like, ooh, I wish I got to know Rask a little better. It's just like, all right, well, yeah. You know, he truly did, you know, serve his purpose and then go away, and I, you know, fine. Like, I, there was no lasting impression. I right. thought it was well, played nicely. That's about all I can say about him. Yeah, he was wound up. I mean, it's like you said. He was a throwaway character. It's just totally fine. And, uh, you know, I thought 
he brought a certain amount of intensity to him. Yes, yes, and he was, that, yeah. that was good. And I, uh, I did like the backstory that they established for Jack, that for the last uh, two years or so, while Jack has been, wherever he's been in Europe, out on the lam, r- running from the U.S. and Russian governments, he has been fighting bad guys. Like undermining Rask. Yeah, in his own Jack Bauer way. You know, he's gotten in league with these people because there certainly is no government to, to work for or work with. Sure. And Jack has uh, in- infiltrated these, you know, criminal rings or... And he's stopped them from within. And I think that's kind of a, a cool vigilanteism by Jack. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it fits in with what Jack said earlier about, um, to Chloe, about Morris and Prescott dying of, you know, you go and you try to stop people from doing bad things. You try to save people. And I think it fits nicely with Jack having little faith in government organizations after seasons, well, one through eight. He's, he's, he's going the Tony route. Yeah, he, he's, go, he's, going the, he's going the Tony route, which, you know, at the end of season eight, Jack sort of was becoming Tony. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought, that was, I thought that was a good backstory. I'm wondering exactly how the Serbian fits into it. Now, the Serbian was uh, taken into custody by... The British, the Brits, uh, who screwed everything up. Yeah, they they sort they sort of screwed everything up. Uh, but you know, so Rask has been Rask has been killed. You know, they got whatever information they needed to get via Chloe and the computer and everything. And uh, yeah, I guess that gives them the link to Margot, right? I'm just kind of thinking it through. Yeah, where let's they see. So so I'm, I'm trying to remember. Okay, so they they got the phone number. And that phone number was Brett's. But, oh, jeez, oh, no, we're doing it no, again. The, no, <laughs> Steve the phone Navarro's no, phone. The, no, no, no. The phone number was not Steve Navarro's phone. The phone number was Simone's phone, and then they were following Simone uh, on the satellite at the same time. Oh, see, okay. Then, then I, then I clearly wasn't paying close enough attention. I thought because they cut directly from the um, from the GPS to, like map that they were following to Navarro. I thought it, I thought that they were they were insisting to the audience that this is Navarro's phone that they're following. Okay, so okay. Oh, I took it as they were following her within London, and then she got hit by the bus, and you know, <laughs> then the phone stopped moving. <laughs> I guess and we I both have to watch that scene again. And I think Jack's going. I think that that's where Jack's going to go next. Maybe Simone's alive. Maybe Simone's not. Mm. Uh, incapacitated, certainly. Yeah, certainly incapacitated. I thought the kid was going to hit. By the way. Yeah, I thought that was, again, that was a pretty exhilarating sequence with the kid running through London. Uh, best thing about that kid, and um, when we were watching the episode the other day, uh, Katie was the one who pointed it out. Um, so Simone sees the kid, and she's like, oh, whatever that little girl's name was. Oh, little girl, you got bigger. And the little girl said, yeah, I've grown two inches. And Katie's like, if this was in England, they would, see, they would say seven They would say <laughs> That's a good observation. Um by someone although, who has grown tall very fast in her life. Um, although, um, do they use inches at all in Britain? I thought, I, I mean, they it used, so, I, podcast audience, correct us if we're wrong, but I believe that the, the imperial system comes from them. But at cert, that, I feel like at some point they switched over to 
the metric i don't you know i don't know this could be a good time to uh well to... i'm on yahooanswers.com <laughs> my question is that in the uk like the us uses mile per hour for measuring car speed i know we americans use inches feet yards etc but do they use inches feet like those uh, according to euro traveler five years ago yep and gallons and all the rest of it imperial measures as they are known here um the UK began to adopt the metric system. So it's a bit of a mess. So sometimes they do use it. Sometimes they do, so, sometimes they don't. They weigh people by stone. <laughs> I, I think stone is like, what, 14 pounds, which is like weird intervals. So yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know much about the so, stones. Uh, um, so they, they, don't, they certainly don't use it often, and it's definitely a, you know, a case of English writers writing. Sorry. American. American, American writers. writers, not truly English. Mm-hmm. Um, I did love the gorgeous line that Davies had with, uh, so I'm dealing with a man who doesn't have his wits about him. Yeah. That was incredibly British. Oh, Stephen Fry's um, great. Yeah, he, he's, he's good. So we're actually at the midpoint of the season right now. Um, it's so weird. It, it, it is weird. Um, what, you know, it feels like we've, you know, really told half of a story, which is yeah. good. How would, um, how would you compare this to, other midpoints in the show's history as well as you know other midpoint moments and you don't have to do a straight divide by two i mean if yeah whatever where, season where it happens in the arc yeah whatever season they had something big happen in episode 13 and that's where the story turned that's the midpoint of that season yeah i mean i feel i definitely feel it's been dynamic thus far and it it, it definitely gives me um it gives me a good sense of not uh, completeness is not the right word for it it's it's more just a sense of like all right everything is kind of nice nicely tightly woven and you know we've got a good setup for you know what the climax is going to be you know a little bit down the road whereas for example in season three the midway point granted the midway point would lead to perhaps the best run and the best half of any 24 season but until you kind of got to the sun really got to the Saunders narrative and you're kind of like in that middle section of we're talking about the Salazars and then you know Ramon blowed up and then there's this whole like little mid section with Nina and Amador and you don't know quite who they're working for yet um like this is tighter than that um oh it's, it's I mean yeah, this is a this has been a tight season of 24 yeah uh I mean I think and this don't take tightness to be synonymous with greatness. Right. Uh, but I feel like seasons five, seven, and nine feel like the tightest of the 24 seasons. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about this just as I was talking about season three. And, and I, you know, I think one of my personal favorite midpoints is, you know, the first season. Um, not, not necessarily because of, you know, how good the half was or you know, tightness or anything like that, but just kind of the, the, it, it was a very, there, there was a nice sense of foreboding for me personally during that transition period from the first threat to the second, that being, um, the Drazens, the Drazens, Drazens, whatever, the Drazens underlings, you know, before we knew the Drazens were really like how, how involved they were and, and who they were, um, going from Ira Gaines to now like, all right, we're calling in the big guns. We're coming to the States ourselves, and we're going to run this shit from here on out. Like, that sense of kind of foreboding and, like, oh, uh-oh, what is going to happen next was was 
really there for me in that season. That so that that kind of for me is why that kind of is a favorite midpoint of mine. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the best, but it's yeah, the one that a, I remember most fondly. You know, that was a good midpoint. I mean, I feel like the best midpoint for me real really would even though it doesn't happen exactly in the quote unquote middle of the season, would always be season two with the bomb going off over the desert in episode 15. That's your first story. Your second story nicely follows from that. And you know, that was such a, I mean, if there was ever a punctuation mark in the middle of a season, oh, yeah. it's, the bo- it's the bomb going off. I mean, three's midpoint. It's either, I mean, I guess you'd go with it's when Ramon blows up at the end of episode 12, and then you kind of get into that little transition thing with Nina and Amador, but really, you know, there's the Salazar story, and then there's the Amador gives way to Saunders story, uh, that that splits at 12 episodes. Season four, that's interesting, you know, four, four was a couple arcs strung together. Um, you know, I mean, I guess you would go with, you know, the midpoint probably comes after episode 13, when Paul's been shot, Michelle's back at CTU, uh, and then Marwan starts the, his second, uh, the second half of the day's craziness. Right, you get that with, tape. And... Uh, yeah, with Anderson going on, you know, the plane and, you know, all, all things like that. Um, what season, was five? Uh, five's midpoint for me would be... When Nathanson uh, goes down, or is that, that, that happens earlier. No, that's earlier. Yeah. Five's midpoint, you could say, it's when Edgar goes down in 12, uh, oh, right. all the... Although I'd go with it's when Tony goes down. In How 13. could I forget? Yeah, Tony yeah. goes down in thirteen. Henderson's out, you know, out on out on the run. Now they've really made Jack's day worse with with Tony dying. Uh, "Quote unquote" dying. Right, but I, I go with that's that's the midpoint. Season six's midpoint. Uh, I don't. <laughs> season six did that even happen? I thought they skipped a season. Um, no, I mean that. I don't know if there actually is a, if there is a midpoint, and that's not to say every season needs a midpoint. Right. You know, season seven's midpoint would probably be right in the middle of episode thirteen after yeah. Bill Buchanan and company stop the White House attack. The whole Sangala portion is done, and that gives way to the Starkwood, yeah, Cabal, John Voight, Alan, actor of the year, Alan Wilson stuff. Season eight midpoint, you know, you'd probably go with it's right around episode twelve when CTU gets hit with that low level EMP, and then Jack is out uh, dealing with Agent Owen and Cole uh, in that really cool shootout in the in the thirteenth episode. That was a shootout for the ages. That was a great one, and you know, I feel like that's where where the midpoint is. So, you know, this one, I guess. You know, we're trying to define the midpoint as the season is still going. For all we know, episode seven is going to have some massive event, and that's going to be the real midpoint. Sure. Um, so we're letting math uh, dictate our analysis a bit. Hate math. Uh, You're good at it. I'll let you take care of that. Uh, yeah, which is fine. But, you know, right now, I guess the midpoint is uh, Jack's kind of being brought in by the British government. You know, a whole bunch of governments have been brought into, into the fray. Steve Navarro is the mole. Simone uh, has been uh, has been taken down by a bus. So, <laughs> yeah. So that that's kind that's kind of 
that you know th that it, it feels like a midpoint without knowing what's going to come next. Um, but we really are at the midpoint. Uh, what's crazy is you know it used to be you'd watch six episodes of Twenty Four and hey we have eighteen left. Now you watch it's six only episodes six of Twenty Four and you have six left. It's not enough, but it is. But it's not. Now, yeah. now what's even crazy? What's even crazier? Okay, and not to get all mathematical here on you. But there have been six episodes of Live Another Day, correct? Yep, with with six sequential hours without skipping six a beat. Six sequential hours, which means that the last six episodes of Live Another Day are going to take place over eighteen hours. Yep. Um, so, so that's kind of that's kind of interesting. Let's yeah, I. You know, there was a whole joke going around our circle about like, oh, maybe he takes a nap, but yeah, Jack, I mean, it's gonna be midnight. Jack goes to sleep for nine hours, yeah. and that's fine. I mean, um, part part. I, I think some of us have suggested, you know, maybe that's a signal that maybe they extradite him to the states because that flight. Or, I think that's at least. Uh, I guess it's about six hours, yeah. you know. Or you know, maybe it's he goes six hours in one direction and then six hours back in that direction. Yeah, uh, it could be something as simple as that, you know. Uh, so six episodes left, but eighteen hours of twenty-four left. Hmm. You know, be just something, just something to think about. Or you know, maybe the midpoint really will be the twelfth hour of the day, whenever that happens. So I guess that would be the eleven p.m. hour because we started at eleven oh six a.m. Yeah, it'll be Correct? interesting how they how they pace it then. Yeah. Um. So you know what's you you know what we should talk about right now. Kate Morgan. Okay. Yeah. We should talk about a segment which I'll just call Kate Morgan is awesome. Yeah, I, I don't remember being this, um, this fired up. Ah, no, I take that back. I was gonna say I don't remember being this fired up by a female lead in such a long time, but that's simply because chronologically, uh, or, or at least real life speaking, twenty four has been off the air for X amount of years. So. Yes, you know, and it's been five years. Yeah. It's been five years since you were introduced to Renee yeah. Walker, and that's not fair to Renee. That's that's certainly not necessarily fair to uh, Michelle's. Oh, I don't know if Michelle was ever a lead. Um, aside from major you know, a couple episodes, major of character, three. major character. Right, but no, I think they've done such a good job by Kate Morgan. Um, she's a really compelling presence. Uh, you know, she brings out something in the other characters you know she's she's feisty she's a little bit fearless she's certainly capable she's you know also you know goes way too overboard with things you know only kate morgan and jack bauer they're probably the only two characters in the 24 universe who would have injected themselves so yeah. you know so willingly with whatever drug that was and kate standing up to the torture uh was good uh, Kate, go you know, Kate going along with Jack's plans. It was great. I like that. You know, Jack got Heller to get Navarro to get to Kate. Yeah. Uh, if that was the exact thread, uh, it. You know what? What uh, I think the thing about her character for me that just that really got me to like her really early on is as you're introduced to her, you you know, at, for me at least, I didn't really know what to expect because she was kind of in this disgraced position. She wasn't coming from a position of power or authority or experience. It was very much like, all right, this here's somebody who's kind of just cleaning out her cube, and like looks looks a little mousy. Not 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 too too much so, but like in that first opening scene, I was like, uh, she, who is this girl? She's like, is she like a data analyst? Is she is she she certainly did not look 
like the field agent that she is. And then you hear that she's a field agent. You're like, oh, right, really? And then you see her in action. It's like, holy shit. Like, she will totally destroy you, like, if you look at her the wrong way. This is really awesome. And then, you know, everything that she does from episode one up until this, you know, this kind of climax so far for her, this torture scene for her is is just been this steady building of like things to like about this character and the way that the actress is portraying her. I think it's doing right. a great job so far. Yeah, Strahovski's Strahovsk, great. Uh, and, you know, I, I like that one thing I do like about them bringing, uh, making Navarro the mole or whatever he might be is that it brings the story of Kate's husband back into the fold a little bit. Yeah. And it justifies them mentioning. Oh, Kate's husband did this. I feel like they mention that in every episode. And, and I think that plants the seeds for a potential great confrontation between the two of them. Oh, for the sure. For sure. Um, so, you know, again, intrigued by wherever they're going to go with that one. Also, uh, that was but, a great kill. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, she's, she's, she's great. Totally, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, Kate Morgan's, I mean, is, is she your favorite live another day new character? Uh yes yes I, so I don't even know why Na- yeah I don't she even trumps know Navarro Bordeaux yes definitely um, uh Adrian Cross yep uh does she trump the guy with the gravelly voice so you can't understand a word he says <laughs> you mean the guy who showed up for wait like three episodes two episodes even yeah. has he shown I, I, up this one no not in the past uh, I don't episodes. think he's been in the last three episodes and I'm fine with that yeah because I I like it when characters are you know intelligible yeah. You, you know, um, I, I think, you know, I, I will say that she's the only new character that really, really compels me to actively want to continue, you know, watching her story arc. And, and, and in all fairness to Michelle Fairley, you know, I, I think you know my position on the Al-Harazi family. I'm, right. Eh, well, I'm, and that's, eh. also, that's also a villain, so it's a little bit different. Sure. Um, you know, I, I still like Bordreau a good amount. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, he had those couple, you know, see, he had that scene with Jack, which... I thought was a, you know, a fairly subdued scene by both of them. Then he followed up with that scene with Audrey. So that's kind of. I uh, like him. I I do like him. I'm just not yeah, he's overly just not like, compelled to want to know so much more about him or what he's going to do or his arc as much as I am with you know uh, with Kate Morgan. Right. He's not a Kate Morgan's level. Yeah. Kate Morgan's also more attractive than him, but maybe that's just from the maybe that's just from the position of a straight guy. Because I mean, I actually someone was discussing this with me recently. They said Tate Donovan doesn't age; he looks great. I'm like, oh yeah, Tate Donovan really does not age. How old is he? Um, I don't know, but he certainly. He was on a show that you watched like 10, 12 years ago, right? He was on the first season of The OC, which was in two thousand three to two thousand four. So that was that was ten years ago, or yeah. ten and eleven years ago. Yeah. Um, Tate Donovan is 50 years old. Does, I would not have guessed. Tate Donovan doesn't age. Tate yeah. Donovan looks good. Tate Donovan is Asian. Okay. We, we like, we apparently admire Tate Donovan's, uh... Timelessness. Yes. The timelessness of Tate Donovan. <laughs> um, you know what actually, um, really is timeless though is 24, uh... This past week was the 200th episode of 24, or the 200th hour of 24. Wow, that's... Because that's uh, 24 times 8, which is 192, plus 2 hours for redemption. That's what I was going to ask, are you counting that? 
Yeah. Yes. Uh huh. So, so this was the 200th hour, and I guess technically the 199th episode of 24. But we talk we talk about hours when we talk about 24. And I uh, I wonder if Redemption is technically considered a two. double episode. Yeah, I would say two. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm just trying looking very quickly at the production code of Redemption. You know, how uh, they how they consider it. Yeah, I feel like it, it, it had a production it had a double production code. Um, so I can't find this that quickly on 24 Wiki. <laughs> so what Austin and I have prepared was a retrospective of 24, uh, 200 episodes, uh, roughly 12 years and seven months and one day, if uh, my math is correct <laughs> from when we were recording this, uh, eight and a half seasons so far. Um, so what Austin and I have uh, come up with is we're just going to ask each other uh, a series of questions covering anything that's happened over the last uh, nine or eight and a half seasons. I do not know Austin's questions. He does not know. He does not know my questions. We have 24 questions each. You can, you know, pontificate on why we picked that number. Um, Wait, so, 24 questions. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So we're, I'm just going to ask him a question. He's going to answer. He'll ask me a question. Uh, I don't. Kn- Again. So you want to just get to it? You want to go first, or you want me to go first? Uh, let me start with the bottom on my list. What is the most blatant, in your opinion? What is the most blatant quote? We have no idea what to do with this character, but here's a story arc anyway. Story arc. Oh man, that that that, that requires a little bit of thinking. <laughs> um, we have no idea what to do with this character. Um, but here's a story arc anyway, because we have to. Well, I mean, you know, the easy answer would be Kim in season two, but I actually feel like they knew some of what they wanted to do with Kim in season two, and then they just needed to keep her on so they were doing goofy things. Yeah. I'm actually going to go with David Palmer in season three. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a good example. That's a, that's, I, I feel like that's a classic example. Yeah. Um... So I'll go, I'll go with that. You know, we needed President Palmer on. We love President Palmer, but they gave him some election storyline. They gave him the shady brother. They gave him the girlfriend. They gave him the declining health. So it was a bunch of throw things against the wall to see what sticks. And actually, when they brought Sherry back, that that brought back the quality a little that bit. That stuck. And when, yeah, that stuck. And when they just integrated him into the growing threat, that's when, you know, it was just aces all around. So yeah. I'll go with David Palmer in season Three. All right, here's my first one. Who's your favorite Kim Bauer love interest? <laughs> That's a variation on the question I have on this list, but uh, let me see. You, oh, man. Um, Barry Landis. I'm kidding. Um, I would have to go with – did she have one in season three? No, yeah, right? Chase. Chase, duh. That, that's really dumb. Wow. Um, I got to – See, uh, the the default answer could be Chase because Chase as a character, but then, you know, if the question is directed at the specific context of Kim plus X equals relationship um, and, like, kind of what comes out of that relationship, I got to go with Rick, season one. Stockholm Syndrome Rick. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. You're up. All right. Um, hmm. Let's see. Best shootout. Give me a tough one because it's a, it's a lot of shootouts. 
See, if you ask me the best action set piece in the show's history, I can give you an answer. And that has a shootout. But I don't know if I'd go with the shootout itself is the best part of it. So, best shootout. Hmm. That's a good one. Um, thinking, thinking. Just, again, going through, going through, going through all, as far as the shootout itself uh jack and paul reigns and the two brothers in the weapon in season shop. four yes yeah that's a good one that, i was uh, the one on the top of my head although it probably wouldn't last if i had thought about it more is season eight with uh what's what's the young kid's name again the one we just mentioned yeah you know but we spoke owen, about this that's what it is yeah seven minutes ago okay um here's what it needs a little bit of qualifying you can resurrect any character on the show all right but you have to integrate them into the show's plot line so you can't just say oh i want i don't know whoever it is i want ira Gaines to be alive because sure just I like because ira Gaines. yeah it can't be just because because then the answer gets a little bit easier are we saying are we saying could be integrated into our storyline or should fit well into this current one just with wherever the show is i mean the character can bring his or her own storyline into it but it has to work plot wise as well oh man i mean i i, I know my pet one would be David Palmer, but that's, you know, you run the risk of trying to find out what the best role for him would be and not not necessarily succeeding. I right. feel like... I mean, he, does he fit? You could even go with what works in this current Live Another Day storyline. You know, I want to say that... Terry Bauer, I'm just kidding. Um, I, Bill Buchanan is always intriguing. Okay, that's a good so answer. So I would go... I, I think he would be good... Uh, for the he would not be my number one choice from a I like this character the most perspective obviously but from a you know could he be most uh, he to me is one of the most effectively or could be the most effectively integrated into this season or you know believably into a future storyline tied to what's been going on so far. All right, um, so good I'll go one. with Buchanan. Uh, let me see. Uh, see, I want to ask this one just so I can hear you talk about him, but it's such an obvious answer. Fine. Most interesting villain, individual. Not a faction, but an individual. Steven Saunders. There you go. <laughs> well, I mean, interesting. I mean, Steven Saunders is, is, the, is the best villain for, for me. Um, you know, I mean, right behind him, though, as far as an interesting villain, it is Charles Logan. And then you sure. also have the absolute intrigue because you know little about him of, say, Alan Wilson. But Steven Saunders, I'll go with the best villain. Uh, best threat. That was on my list as well. Um, okay. The most. Well, when you we'll get to it when you're ready to ask me it, but. No, that's fine. Oh, it's fine. Best threat. Um, I want to say, I take, I take affinity towards uh, the Cordelia virus in season okay. three, and perhaps it's simply because of what we just went through about Stephen Saunders being potentially the best villain, and so maybe the threat is largely defined by the person behind it. But um, I think it's also defined by the characters impacted by it. I mean, and yes, you also yeah. got to you, know, you have Michelle who's, you know, at risk of it. You also got to see that threat be unleashed and the horror in the Chandler Plaza Hotel yeah. and also how that virus could spread like wildfire. Yeah. So that was uh, that was a great one. Yeah, I picked that one because um, the first season didn't really have a, a widespread threat, although although the the arc was great um season two like there's nothing there, there's nothing um you know to be sneezed at about a bomb but at the same time it's like all right that's 
it's a bomb and they ended up you know defusing it and then later it was not a bomb it was about finding peter kingsley um and and the virus like you said i think it was the first time that they were actually able to hit a mass captive audience for you know and and affect them um it's the first time you actually got to see someone directly impacted and killed by that threat whom we were rooting for gael um mm -hmm. And, and again, the people that it affected in the way that it was deployed, um, that that was it for me. And then, you know, all the other things that are like a virus, like the nerve gas and whatever, is just kind of like, eh, you know. Okay. Um, all right. You're up to your question four. Most, uh, no, favorite dismemberment. Do you have to see the dismemberment? Because uh, I feel like you have to see no. the dismemberment. No. Uh, well, and, and favorite in what sense? I mean, just favorite time the moment happened or favorite actual... I mean, because the answer has to be Chase getting his hand chopped off because the moment is so good. So I guess that's if my you answer. Yeah, sure, if you qualify by that, yeah. That's my answer. I think it's okay. fair. Um, All right. I, part of me wanted to say Marshall Gorin's head. Well, that's why, that's why yeah. I asked if you have to yeah. see the That's why I said no, because I like that one. Um, All right. Favorite Tony Almeida moment? Oh, boy. End of season seven confrontation with alan wilson yeah that's I, what you mean okay yeah it, it's it, there, there's so many great ones you know him saving terry him coming back in season four but i feel like i feel like that was really him unleashed yeah it was the, i mean Absolutely the show's most uh, it was the show's most emotional character in maybe the show's most emotional scene and uh that that was that was a great one okay yeah uh all right you're up for number five um okay so a, in a variation of the question I asked two questions ago, um, your favorite villainous faction or group, which I think is a different question than just who's your favorite villain. Sure. Well, I could tell you Second Wave still had the coolest name. Yeah. All right. All right. That was cool. Uh, Saunders didn't have a group. The Salazar's blah. Yeah. The Fayed and Gordenko alliance blah. Uh, I'll go with the Alan Wilson cabal. Okay. Interesting choice. Good choice. Okay. Um, uh, all right, you already asked me this one, but now it's your time to answer. Favorite villain? Uh, I got a tie between Saunders and Logan because you know how I feel about Logan. Yeah, that's um, they're, they're in a close enough tie yeah. for me. Um, okay. And, and such a well for both of them really, but such great actors. Okay. Like playing their roles. Um, and Logan right. had enough of an arc where it was you know a nice extended play, and he didn't sure. feel worn out when he came back in eight. You know, he no, didn't feel like, oh, him eight, again was like, oh, shit. Like, no, he made eight better. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's one thing eight really needed was a great villain, and it didn't have that until Logan came back. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you're up for number six then. Let's see. Uh, this is this is one of Melanie's questions. Favorite Jack love interest. We went for his daughter, but now for him. Renee Walker. Yeah. I, I, I had a feeling that was going to be an easy one to answer. Uh, it's actually not It's not that easy. I, I've liked quite a bit of them. I mean, I, I like Renee Walker a lot. I like Audrey Reigns a lot. Uh, Kate Warner was great, it, too. They're, yeah, they're I was all even going to say, I'll go with Kate Warner. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, at, at a certain point, Nina was even a half-intriguing love interest in season one. Uh, Claudia, whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, and... Uh, you know, Diane Huxley, I mean, that was sort of written as a love interest, but yeah. one that was completely doomed because Jack was in love with Audrey. Yeah. Uh, but Renee Walker. Uh, okay. I mean, I'm just reading off my list, but it happens to be a romantic-related question. <laughs> um, 
favorite couple that never or has not yet happened on 24? Oh, so the hypothetical dating question. Um, uh, or just which, you know, characters would you like to, would you like to see get together or do you think uh, the show should have paired together? Chloe. It, it doesn't have to be characters. <laughs> Chloe and Kate Morgan. No. Um... Oh, oh, and you, yes, you, by the way, have to stick with the character's sexual orientation. Sure. So you can't say Michelle and Renee Walker. But what if? No. Uh, Michelle and Renee Walker, all-girl, lesbian rock band. <laughs> okay, uh, and, and, they ju- and they just cover, they just cover, like, No Doubt songs or something. No Doubt songs. <laughs> Four non-blondes songs. Um, God, that's a tough one. I'm trying to think. Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, let's see. We've gotten awesome. certainly not anything to do with Milo because we saw what happened there. Um who should have gotten together? Uh, oh my God, this is tough. Um, I will say, mm, maybe you know, I, I got to go with the only thing that's at the top of my head right now. And and does this qualify? Because I'm going to talk about this season, but these questions are retrospective. Sure, it qualifies. I think I know what you're going to say. Uh, then Kate Morgan and and that Jordan dude. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say Kate Morgan and Jack Bauer. No, no, I do not. I do not. I, I, something in me just does not want that to happen. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying I would want it to happen, but that could work. You know, another one I was actually thinking of because there was a little seed of a seed planted would have been Heller and Driscoll. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Driscoll. All right. All she right. about her. You're up. All right. Uh, most discomforting to watch torture scene. Hmm. So it most doesn't necessarily have to be the most brutal. But no. the one that makes you squirm the most. You know, I have a pretty good, um, I have a pretty good tolerance for for torture scenes, uh, on Twenty Four and anything else. <laughs> so, um, so the only one that's slightly coming to mind, and this isn't a great answer. So I'm just before I say it, let me think. Um, <laughs> Was there ever a point where Jack was tortured and I was maybe because it came early in the yeah. show's run and I believe it was the episode that first had the viewer discretion is advised warning. But I'm gonna go with when Kate Warner was tortured by Syeda Lee's man in season two. Oh, that was and chilling. he was Yeah, he just doing that little cut by her ear. Something about the uh, the smallness of it that that got to me. It was so, very surgical. Yeah. So I'll go with that. Uh, which character would you most want to work with? Work with, uh, you know, with it, within yeah. your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean my real life job? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, like, uh, let's see. I would put in a. I mean, it's not Chloe. She's just gonna be a nasty bitch to you all day. <laughs> uh, you know, I want to say I was gonna say a tie between Buchanan and Dessler, but I'm gonna go with Buchanan. Okay. There's something very level-headed about him. Oh, yeah. Just a graceful, calm, reasonable guy. And you could say the same things about Dessler as well. Okay. Where are we going here? Um, all right. Here's another Melanie question, and I'm asking it because it's such a such a you question as well. Hottest female character. Next. Michelle, come on. Okay. <laughs> I oh, know. It's a default name. answer. There you go. Michelle. Um, Mich- I could even go. I, I Yeah, Michelle. <laughs> um, biggest missed opportunity. Oh, biggest missed opportunity. Um, season six. 
um, the uh, the f- particularly things. There were lots in season six, but I'm thinking particularly about giving that family arc, or at least his father, a compelling narrative. Because I, th- okay. I I think they did reasonably well by his brother. Like the, the scenes that you know you have to go. They did reasonably well by his brother. I'll yeah. give you that. But you know James Cromwell and Kiefer. Eh, I don't know. There's it's such a among the other things of that season that to me hurt the most. Okay. Um, I would actually go. With, I would say that's the worst part of that season. Yeah. That's not the same thing as the biggest missed opportunity. Right. Okay. Right, yeah. All right. You're up. Um, I, this is in a similar vein. Most underused character slash wasted potential. Oh, I have that same question. Um, <laughs> and I'll ask you when I get to it. But uh, most underused character. And, and you don't even have to go by quantity of appearances, but just like, you know, here, here's a character who could really have been something and they just kind of didn't do anything. See, I could think of some characters who I would have liked more of, but that's not the same thing as being underused. completely underused. Yeah. Um, Ethan Kanan. Hmm, interesting. They gave, I mean, his best stuff really... No, I mean, no, because I like... They used him well. I thought, I I thought guess they, I, they used him well, yeah. Yeah, I thought, I thought they used him well now that, now that I think about it. Um... Part of me thinks Sandra Palmer, but she wasn't a good enough. She wasn't a character I would have wanted more of. She was just a, a yeah. not a, a character who wasn't well designed. Um, so, I know my answer. Uh, well, we'll, we'll let it. the reader, we'll let the listeners be in suspense. Um, so then, really, the most underused character. I'm just going to go with the one who had the most potential that they didn't get to fulfill it because of outside the show reasons. I'll just go with Kate Warner. Hmm. Okay. Um, favorite Jack Bauer hairstyle. Uh. <laughs> the joke answer would be the beginning of season two with his lumberjack look. Um, I uh. I know you think it makes him look old, but whenever it's shorter, I like it. So I'm not going to say the beginning of season five because it ended up growing out. <laughs> but um, I like his five. look now. Okay. All right. That's I like a good his one. look now. It's very streamlined. It's like, like there's this very strange, like, flowing look in season one that's just weird to me, even though it's the first time I ever saw it. But, yeah, I, I like All the right. shorter look, but not necessarily buzz cut. All right. You go with now. All right. Most chilling Jack execution. Dana Walsh. Ah. Okay. Uh, And now I am up to most underused or underserved character. Mine was Curtis. Oh, that's a good answer. I feel like... uh, I'm going to change my answer to Curtis. Eh. Good answer. Yes. (laughs) See, he was so underused, I forgot all about him. There you go. And part of it is my own bias. He was... For a long time, he was a character that I really wanted to see more of because I just liked him, but he just kind of always kind of hit this middle plateau and just stayed there until yeah. the very end Yeah, they just run. Oh, that, the great answer. Great, great answer. Okay. Um, all right. You cannot say Jack Bauer is the answer to this next question, and you cannot say Audrey Reigns as the next answer to this question. Wait, is it your question or mine? Uh, no, it's mine. 
Oh, no. Right. I just asked. You're up. So. We asked the same one. That's why I went back right. and forth. Um, You're up for number 11. This might take a little thinking. The dumbest play, like the dumbest decision that any, you know, uh, I guess I guess anybody, yeah, because I was going to say that I was going to narrow it to people who usually make good decisions, but that's too, like, d- yeah, dumbest play. From a character choice perspective or from a... Oh, from a... From a, from okay, a, a writing perspective. From a... Uh, from a, something that the character decides to do, not from a, like, yo, the writer's fucked up here. And in this in-story boneheaded moment that you're screaming at the character, why would you do that? Why would you ever do that? You know, things like that. Well, then I'm still just going to go... It's almost the same answer. It's still going to yeah. be these. The, what opened up season five with, okay, President Logan, Jack Bauer's family... And Christopher Henderson and maybe Alan Wilson managing from afar, okay, are... Taking out Palmer. Okay, you know, they're trying to make bad things happen. Okay, Palmer found out about it. You have to kill Palmer. You're trying to make all of these bad things happen. So, one, why are you going and killing additional people? Two, why in the world would you pin it and frame anybody? Okay, you just, if you're trying to just make things happen in one day, just let people twist in the wind. And three, why would the one person you frame be Jack Bauer, who you know to be the person most capable of stopping (laughs) your entire thing? That was bad plotting and it was bad choosing by the, okay, by the characters. It was stupid. It resulted in the dumbest move in the show's history. Okay, or the worst move in the show's history. All right, there's my fucking answer. (laughs) <laughs> okay, it required no thinking. I just needed to qualify it. Anyway, yeah. back to my question that I have started. You can't say Jack. You can't say Audrey to this answer. Favorite offspring in all of 24? Offspring. Because I, I wanted it to be a 24 character that's introduced, and then their offspring, you know. So, like, Jack is technically an offspring of Philip Bauer, and Jack's going to be the obvious winner. Oh, right, right. Eh. So, yeah, favorite yeah, yeah. offspring? Uh... Let's see. Let me let me think. Who's been offsprung? You've got little baby Terry. Mm-hmm. You've got Prescott. Rest in peace. You've mm-hmm. got, you got Kim. Kim. Yeah. 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 You have, you have um, any of the? Uh, you have Kyle Singer. Anyway, you go on. Oh, so we're including all the other kids. Um, uh, well, no, offspring of a main char- of a character. Of Kyle character. Singer was the was the main character. Come to think of it. But you would have Kim. You would have Terry. You know, baby Terry. You'd have like the Palmer kids. Oh um, there right. Were other, um, right. Uh, I mean, I don't want to keep giving you all possible answers. So. I mean, I, I could be unless I'm missing somebody subtle that I should absolutely be picking. Like I'm just gonna go with Kim. Okay. I mean, it's a simple answer. You know, she turned into a capable character later, and she was, you know, kind of the MacGuffin. Uh, not really MacGuffin, but you know, the 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 leading offspring. <laughs> I guess is the best place way to put okay. it. No, Kim's a good answer. Um, all right. So I have best and worst, so I'm just going to cross off the worsts. Um, okay. This is question 12. This is the midpoint of this. Oh, oh should we do a retrospective on a retrospective? Um, oh, we should. The best or, because, you know, we draw split hairs between best and favorite, but whatever you want to do, favorite or best relationship on the show. Tony and Michelle. All right. I knew Done. that was coming. That was a quick Jack one. and J- Tony and Michelle one, Jack and Tony two, Jack and Chloe three. Yeah. Uh, it's yours, I think. Favorite president? Do I go Palmer or Taylor or Logan? Which Palmer? Well, Ooh. I think, oh, I wonder which one. Um, it's really tough. I'll go with this David a, Palmer. Palmer. That's a, 
for a while was my favorite character, like that over is Jack a and Tony. Brutal question. Any of the three is an excellent yeah. answer for completely different, different reasons. reasons. Yeah, but I All gotta right. go with Palmer by a slight edge. David okay. Palmer. David. Let's be clear. David Palmer. Okay. I mean, you could have gone with Heller as well. Just as I think it's a little too early in his term. Um, all right, you're up. Uh, I'm going to circle back to the one that I asked you already. What is the most intimidating threat in your eyes? Uh, it would be the virus, but since okay. you already said that, I will give a special mention to the small-scale attacks that opened up Season 6, because really those were... Oh, those are good. Okay, those are really unbeatable. So I would go with that would be my number two. That's a good, that's a good one. Okay, worst character in 24 history. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh... Rita Brady, Rita Brady. She wouldn't be mine, but she, oh, I mean. Fucking Rossler. He's the worst character, really. Okay, Jacob Rossler. All right. And, and, and that, that's, that's for lack of time to think because there is certainly many folks crawling at the bottom of the barrel with him, but he stands out for in my mind. Okay. I mean, there was Lonnie McRae. There was Barry. Delani is one. There, ba- Barry, Barry and Lonnie Landis, are definitely out there. But like, I, I Rita think... Brady, Darren McCarthy. Those are the ones that jump to mind. Agent Burke, he fucking sucks. Yeah, he's pretty bad, but I wouldn't put him at the – I'm not putting no, him at the Rossler level. I guess not. Rossler's in there. Okay. And partially Rossler because he was also, you know, he's also referred to by name, you know, as our nickname for the for potentially the worst episode in the show's run. The, oh, that's the that worst point. episode. In so we call it the Rossler episode. The, uh, that, that's that's pretty dubious honors. Yeah, it's it's a horrible episode. Um, Let's see. Um, all right, you're up to number fourteen. Most annoying kid, and by kid I say anything up to you know the Rick or Kyle Singer age. Okay, so you're going with worst offspring. Sure, sure, but 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 like per the qualifications that you set, it doesn't have to be the offspring of main characters. Just most only sure. kid. You could go Megan Matheson. You could go Kyle. You could go Rick. Or like even though those would be the answers, I'm just giving you examples of any what's fair game. Most annoying kid. Beatles. No, I like the Beatles. No, it's not. Beatles. I like Beatles a lot, actually. Is there anyone season six? Jack is seven. Jack is Philip Power's kid. So is Graham. Well, you're going with There's up Josh to like Bauer the, in season. You're six. You're going up to the Rick and Kyle. Ah, Josh Bauer was fine. He was he was a kid, but I, you know, um, who else is who else are good kids for you? Um, the Palmer kids. Um, you know, I don't have a most annoying kid. Um, Miguel's a kid. Miguel's leg, maybe not. Um, <laughs> you know, um, most annoying kid. Uh, I guess just because she got involved with the freaking plot a little bit, and uh, I mean, it was supposed to be a little annoying and comedic by design, but this is the best answer I have, <laughs> unless I'm missing someone big. I'll go with Angela Edmonds. Oh, jeez. <laughs> part of me wants to say Megan Matheson. Part of me wants to say Maya Driscoll. Um, all right, your question. Oh, well, those are good. Okay, uh, favorite season premiere? Oof, we've had this discussion in years well, past, we, and I don't know if my answer changes. Uh, favorite premiere. Let me run through. One, obviously, was was the... Oh, come on. It comes down to one of two seasons. I mean, I guess maybe one of three, depending on your opinion of season five's premiere. I think in the past I've said five. Um, I'll stick with my past answer of five. Okay. All Prob- right. the, yes, there are problems with it. But yeah, okay, that's fine. The way that hit me, no, that's yeah. fine. It was certainly impactful. Two was fucking good though, too. 
So. For me, it comes down to two or six. Anyway, you're up. Uh, this might be a hard one, but I'm going to fire it off anyways. This is a Melanie question. Your best or favorite, let's just say your favorite quote. One of. Um, let's say one not, of because it's hard. There's so many not, out there. Not that hard, actually, um, to narrow it down. Uh, I'm going to need a hacksaw uh, is obviously in there. I'm guessing it's not the knee is in there. Um, Tony's line to Michelle at the end of season two, see you tomorrow, while not a uh, line that's great for dialogue reasons, carries so many layers and so much, I mean, layers and so much additional weight uh, to it. Season, it would probably be one of those. Yeah, please. It'd probably be one of those three. Um, you know, I could even go with, you know, shut it down as my favorite line. Um, uh, just because it's the most quotable, I'll go with I'm going to need a hacksaw. Yeah. I mean, that was what was written on the cups sure. for the 24 series finale party. I, the, okay. the two that were running through my head um, as I was writing that question were, and I don't remember the quote exactly, so perhaps that subverts my choice, but what he says to Chase in season three, when Chase is like, oh my god, you were about to kill me. And Jack is like, no, you have to distance yourself from this, you know, you have to distance yourself in this job to do it well. Uh, that was one. And then the other was his exchange with, um, I can't remember for shit these days. Um, season seven, his exchange with uh, Moss about breaking the rules and not today. Oh, the rules are what make us better, not today? Yeah. That's a good um, one. Also, I mean, it's not really a favorite line so to speak, but Deep Sky is just another good one. Um, okay, I'm up. Number 15. They're shooting at us. Number 15. Um, favorite finale. Or best finale, you know, same. 724. Okay. I thought you were going to say 124. All right. You caught me on a day when it was 724. Okay. Um, I mean, most look, of the time seven, it's season one. 724 would have been my answer. So um, now we're answering our own questions. Okay, you're up. <laughs> Uh, all right, this is a tricky one. Or maybe not a tricky one, but kind of a dumb one. But the most blatant, in your mind, the most blatant disregard for real-time rules. Oh, this is so easy, because... Uh, I think I know what you're going to say. What are you thinking I'm going to say? Uh, season 6, uh, Assad's flight. No, Amriel Assad's that is flight. Not, that is not the most blatant disregard. Oh, okay. Okay? okay, okay. Because you can say, oh, they just have better technology. Sure. Okay, the most blatant disregard, the end of season five, episode 14. Jack Bauer is with Colette Stinger in an airfield. Colette Stinger gives up Audrey Reigns' name. That is how the episode ends. Season five, episode 15, opens up with Jack Bauer walking through CTU with Colette Stinger. Done. I don't remember that at all. Wow, that's done. a terrible one. Done, done, that's done, terrible. done, done, done. Um, most shocking twist. Mm, there are a couple. Um, I know. Shit. Rita Brady kills Darren McCarthy. Uh, yeah, yeah. You got it. Episode done. Let's shut it down. No. Um, part of me wants to say Tony killing Moss or or mercying Moss. Um, in season seven, part of me wants to say um, Alan York's not Alan York because great one. Yeah. Excellent, so, excellent ones. I, is is it a cop out if I tie between the two? Yes. I'm gonna cop it out. No. Um, I got I gotta go with Alan York, not Alan York. Because it's the first one. Okay. 
All right. Not, fair not just because it's the first one. Oh, it just so happened twist. to be such a shocker for me. It's a, it's a phenomenal twist. Okay. All right. You're up. Um, God, this is a dumb question. I don't know why I put it down here. Um, I think we know the answer to this one, but for you, who the most effective mole was? Nina Myers? Yeah. Is that is that okay? I mean, um, that's what I was I thinking. I mean, if there. if okay. you if you actually thought that if you were actually intrigued by a different mole, I mean, that's certainly a, uh, at least it makes it an interesting question. <laughs> okay, now Nina Nina Myers. Uh, Rita Brady. You know, okay, uh, dumbest plot line. Oh jeez, uh, the one that's sticking out right now, even though it may not be the the real answer, but the the only one I can keep thinking of is. God, it's goddamn Lonnie. Okay, that was that was yeah. Okay, goddamn next, Lonnie, next, season two. Next. Moving on, moving on. Oh, let's see. Um, best hand-to-hand combat scene, or at least you know, getting up yeah. close and personal, not not firing from like distance. Yeah, best fight scene. Yeah. Uh, Jack Bauer and Kingsley's thug in the Coliseum and yep. the Coliseum with yep. Jack having the heart attack, snapping the neck. Um. Although there's there's one other great fight that I always um, think of. Uh, Jack Bauer versus Fayed comes in a, a very, very close second. That was a good one. Very close second. Um, oh, that was a Melanie question. Just give her, yeah, that's, give her that's props a, on that one. That's, that's, that's a good one. Um, favorite thing about Live Another Day so far? Kate Morgan. Okay. Yeah, they could have answered that in any any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, she's electrifying, I think. And I look forward to her and Jack working together, hopefully more, mm-hmm. if they can get to it. Um, most intriguing Politico. So the original question was president, but I thought it would be interesting to think about the entire political spectrum. Um, hmm. You said most intriguing or most – I mean intriguing, interesting, same thing, whatever. Yeah. Um. Hmm. That's um. That's a good question. Uh, Tom Lennox. That's a good choice. I wish they would bring him back. Really oh, oh, dude, that the things that would do for me. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, best outfit in Twenty Four history. Uh, the Dessler cat suit. <laughs> okay. I mean, for me, it come down, it would come down to the Dessler cat suit or the Bill Buchanan. Art gallery, uh, mock the turn like the the Steve Jobs the, Apple the, look. Just, I wouldn't, <laughs> that was just gorgeous. What about All him right. showing up in an undershirt when they get to his house? He's like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" No, Bill Buchanan <laughs> and that whole mock turtleneck, black outfit, snow white beard thing. I mean, trust me, I will. Tr- I will try to mine that look. Um, you know, thirty years from now or whatever. <laughs> um, if you need examples for this, um, just let me know. But like, the most fun. You've had watching a subversion or sneak tactic. Give me an example of what you mean. Uh, Jack going undercover as Ernst Mir. Ernst, Ernst, right? You know um, what? Yeah, Ernst. Jack, Mir. Um, okay, I got to, I... Uh, to to Jack holding the dart gun inside a binder when he's going to shoot George Mason. Like things like um, that, just like kind of subversive. Like I've got to hide what I'm doing, so either I'm going to hide it here, or I'm going to go undercover, or I'm going to like make a phony uh, a prank phone call or something like that well what's cool about your question is you're going with most fun yeah um i ever had so um 
I'm glad that's not on your list, by the way, because I can't think of one. Because <laughs> they're all great. Like Jack going undercover with uh, Eddie and Joe Wald's men at the beginning of season two was a mm. lot of. That was a lot of fun. That's the one that's coming to mind. Season two is the season that wrote all the rules. So there's there's my answer. Yeah. Okay. Worst villain. Worst villain. Uh, Jack's father. Okay. You're up. We're up God, to the final four questions for each of us. Family. Oh. All right. Um, this is another Melanie one. This is a good one. The the best, or I should say the most fun, uh, escape or escape attempt. Oh, the Deep Sky episode. You know, Deep Sky? <laughs> oh, yeah. The reason why I wanted to add attempt there is because I think of the Michelle, Michelle one. Michelle in season yeah. three, episode yeah. 22. Yep. Yeah, I, th I thought of I thought of that, but no, the Deep Sky episode is, is the most fun. This is going to hurt. Okay. Um, craziest thing Jack Bauer has ever done. Oh, God. Um, I Marshall Gorin. Okay. Sp specifically because he did it in a government facility in front of government employees when he was out of action, and he basically just murdered somebody in cold blood. And brought the guy's head in a bowling bag. No, it was gorgeous. Marsha Gorin. Lots of things he did, but Marsha Gorin. Um, oh, I asked Subversion once. I'm going to cross that one out. Uh, do, I, do I ask you best or worst here? Because we, we introduced these questions last, ep last episode of the podcast, and so I actually want to ask them here. Um, is, it, is, it, is it cheating if I say best and worst mother? What, which one do you want me to answer? That's what I'm saying. Is it, is it cheating if I ask you to answer both questions? Yes, that's cheating. That's Shit. two questions. Fine. Worst mother. Worst mother. I mean, Margot, you know, you think it could be <laughs> yeah, hard. She's I mean, you, you, I mean, it could be Margot. Um, but I got to think. Um, it's not Dina because she still kind of came through from bruise in the end. Sure. Um, it's not, um, <laughs> Allison Taylor. No, no, no. She's a good mother. I know, I know. She's a good mother. Um, She's a strict mother. What a good yeah. mother. Uh, um, I go with Margot. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, best non-finale, uh, episode. 316. Okay. Michelle wow, shoots dude, the dude. You, you didn't even have to think about that one, huh? Nope. Okay, fair enough. Um, all right, you're up. Last two questions. Uh, <laughs> this, this, I mean, this may not be an easy one, but there's certainly a good pool to choose from. Worst father. This is one that we asked last episode. Um, I know my answer, but like my answer could be Philip Bauer, but he's such a crappy character that I almost want to pick <laughs> a father who's a good character and a bad father. Um, so. I mean, Navi wanted to kill his kid and the <laughs> wife because he thought the kid was a weakling, all right, and didn't give his kid any props whatsoever for bringing home a hot piece of tail. <laughs> okay? I saw him at a Best Buy. All right. So, um, Navi or Oz? All right. Uh, my answer did I miss be... somebody? No, 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 not at all. But my answer was my answer would have been Gary Matheson, but Navi is. Oh, a... oh no, no, G G Gary Matheson, Gary Matheson. Sorry, 
had this conversation offline last week. Yeah. It's Gary Matheson. Yeah. Definitely. But Nami is a really bad father too. No, That's... Gary Matheson's worse. All right. Um, okay, we have we have two left for each of us, right? No, I have two left. You have one left. Yeah. So shoot. Okay. Best Sean Callery musical uh, piece of music. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Palmer send off at the tail end of season five. Palmer goes up, Logan goes down. Okay, yeah. that's a that's a that's a great one. That that's on the very short list. So, um, the one that we were talking about last episode was a really strong one too. The um, one that you or mean two episodes ago maybe so the, the one from reviving Jack and Kate Morgan yeah. protects Jack. Yeah. that was a good one. Yeah. I, I mean there are there are a ton the of Palmer there are a ton one. of good ones. Um, here's my last one, and this is a Melanie question. <laughs> All right, if Jack were any animal, what animal would he be? A cougar. Oh no. Jesus. <laughs> um, no. If Jack were any animal, she's not even here to listen to it. She's playing Mario Kart, so. <laughs> um, I mean, see, I'm not much of an an animalist. <laughs> um, a chameleon. You know, I'm not much of an animalist. A turtle. Um, so, you know, part of me wants to say Jack would be a lion because, you know, sure. lions are, are fierce. So I'll just go with lion. Um, okay. For the final one. Oh, boy. All right. And you're going to probably need a qualifying question. Oh, no. Okay. All right. Best death scene. And just my qualifying question is, feel free to include, if you want, Tony from 513. Right, right. That's what I was going to say. Um, all right, that's what I was going to It still might not be the answer, but... Right, no, no, yeah, yeah. But but to be that's clear... That's all intents and purposes of yes, death scene. Yes, a scene, yeah. Um, who boy. Uh, we've got Terry. We've got Nina. Think about this we've one. We've got Tony not dying. We've got David Emerson. Kind of shook me a little bit. We've got... Um, ooh. I mean, you're you're missing two of the biggest ones. We've got. You're missing actually maybe three of the biggest ones. No, I I, I know. I even know. four, or five of the biggest ones. This one qualifies for um for the one that I asked you about most chilling Jack execution. I got to go with Ryan Chappelle. Okay. Wait, so that's your answer. Do I want to do with Do I want to do Chappelle or Mason? There you go. Oh, I can't decide. I think when I voted, I think I voted Mason. As the episode. Well, that's but, different as episode versus scene. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Was it driven by... I don't know. It's it's between, oh, it's between those two. Um, Brutal. Brutal choice. Well, I'm George Mason, so that's a biased question. Um, You're just talking about which is the best scene. I mean, and, yeah, and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, the tonality is so different of each of the, the, those scenes. One is just oh, devastating, and the other is, uh, you know, uplifting in a sense. What? I mean, I think, geez, this is one of those things where my voting would be different every time you ask me. Um, but no, then we have a good last question. I'm, I'm so. going with Chappelle. I gotta go with Chappelle. Okay. Maybe tomorrow you ask me the same thing. I say Mason. Um, you know, I think that's a what, great, great answer. Actually, what, were, what would you have answered? And what were the other ones that you were targeting? Oh uh, well, you, you had David Palmer, you had Bill yep. Buchanan, you yep. had Terry Bauer, and then Chappelle and Mason were the ones you missed. Some people would love Edgar. Uh, you know, uh, Renee Walker is another one. Yeah. Um, you know, when I when I did my 24 preview series, I just did best moments in 24 history, which technically covers best death scenes. Um, I actually had Ryan Jack killing Chappelle as number three and Tony dying in Jack's arms as two. 
Um, so um, those would have been the two for me. But Jack killing Chappelle is just yeah, and and that and that that's one of the things I had in mind when I was um, when I was thinking about most chilling Jack execution. Um, and and for a totally sure. different reason, even though Dana was a great choice, um, just for a totally different reason. It, yeah, it see, just... I was thinking of Jack killing people in cold blood. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Chappelle never even came to mind. Then I answered the Dana Walsh one very quickly. Yeah, um, that that's certainly just a, a harrowing, like the 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 exchange there. I have I have information for I, like I have something useful for you. Whatever she said, he's like, just out of that, almost desperate, d d tired, and and angry like no you don't just... no you're mixing up that's jack and nina oh you're she, right J oh so, jack uh, is going dana nothing is... nothing that's what yeah. it is that was so chilling yeah. just his his that line read by Kiefer the, was the masterful nothing. yeah so anyway that's 200 episodes of history for 24 uh, uh six more to come um and s we're halfway through live another day uh too quickly it, it, it's it's been a good day so far and uh for now, uh, wow, this ended up being a long podcast because of that great retrospective. We yeah. did. So, I'll tell you uh, what, this is average length for me and Al on the other podcast. But um, so, well, hello, Al. Goodbye, Al. I have a question for well, you, Dave. Did any of this happen? Uh, whatever happened here didn't happen. Shut it down. All right. Thanks for listening to Twenty Four Cast Another Day. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet David at DeepSky24MDNA, that's the number 24, and Austin at Mr. Chupon, that's M-R-C-H-U-P-O-N. Or you can drop us a line at our podcast page at 24ladcast.tumblr.com. Again, that's 24ladcast.tumblr.com. Please keep them scoped to anything about the most recent episode to date and prior. No questions or comments about reported rumors or spoilers about future episodes, or even anything you saw in the promo for next week's episode. We really don't like spoilers. Thanks a lot.